We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato, as I try to survive through what I am referring to as the great wide East Coast fog. I don't know what else to refer to this as. It looks so weird outside. Today's a little bit better. I don't see as much of an orange and crazy sun aspect to it, Nick, but these wildfires coming down from the Canada area, it's pretty insane. It's pretty insane just to be, you know, involved, you know, to be living through this i think i spent like put us posted on twitter i spent like 30 minutes outside in the morning yesterday because a big part of my routine and how i've kind of fixed my sleep issues has been getting early morning sun but that was not really an option yesterday or today or the day before because when i did it yesterday came back inside with a big time headache and just a lightheaded feeling which is just a weird thing you could smell the smoke yesterday and today I'm sorry, yesterday and the day before, not as much today, which is good news, though I've heard it's now making its way over Washington, D.C. area. So for those of you listening in the D.C. area, I feel bad for you. Stay inside would be my suggestion. And look, I'm not a medical expert and I'm not a, uh, you know, environmental expert either. So I'm not telling you like advice on you should stay inside or this is really bad for you. I have no idea. Someone said it's like smoking a half a pack of cigarettes or something to be outside right now. But I, all I can tell you is it didn't feel good to be outside, Nick. So you'll so be very happy right now that you're on the West Coast over there in Arizona. Yeah, I feel bad for all you guys out there. That's really unfortunate. But Dan, I was going to call you out in the beginning because the way you said Canada, you really put a Canadian accent on. And I think it's because you've been watching hockey recently and now you're starting to develop this Canadian accent. I don't know about that, but I might, <laughs> and maybe maybe that is the case here. Uh, can, what did I say? Canada? Yeah, I don't know. You said it some way that would, you know, I felt like was, yeah. a, was a Canadian accent just because I watch a lot of hockey. Dude, I do the same thing though. Whenever I'm talking about hockey, I, like I just start being like, you know, like you just know, like this French yeah. Canadian accent that's so inauthentic and I don't even mean <laughs> to do it. It just kind of comes out sometimes. It's going to happen sometimes. But um, yeah, so we, this, you know, this thing that's happening right now over the East Coast with the smoke has actually even made its way to what we're going to talk about today. Giants OTAs. They had another set of OTAs this week. Um. I think it's the final one before the mandatory mini camp, which is where a lot of good stuff goes down. Um, but the last two practices, today's practices, Thursday when we're recording, and then Friday's practice tomorrow have both been canceled by the Giants due to the air quality right now. Um, so just something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Today, we had a chance to listen to Giants coordinators speak. All three coordinators spoke. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to try to do a little bit of a catch-up mode here on all of OTAs from this week, starting with the 
fifth OTA practice, I believe. That was the seventh. The seventh, sorry, on, the yeah. seventh OTA practice of the week, the red zone day on June fifth. Uh, earlier this week. So let's start there and, and let's, let's start with what, what was some, one of your big takeaways from that fifth practice, or I'm sorry, that seventh OTA practice on June 5th had some interceptions, which I felt like was something that you don't necessarily want to see in OTAs, but it's seven on seven. A lot of these, like the four straight touchdowns that happened to kick off the OTAs were to Isaiah Hodgins, Jamison Crowder, Khalil Pimpleton. And I think another one might've been to Isaiah Hodgins as well. It's seven on seven though. So you have to keep that in mind. They're not hitting. Okay. This isn't groundbreaking news, but if we're just going to go over what happened in practice, you had a couple interceptions and one was to a player who also showed up in the subsequent OTAs, Michael McFadden. It was a tipped bobbled pass. He ended up coming down with one of those interceptions. And it seems like his name is starting to generate some buzz. You take it with a grain of salt because we are in OTAs. But I also think it is important to note just because we have a starting linebacker spot that is up in the air. And it's something that Wink Martindale also talked about, Dan. He was asked about Darian Bieber specifically, and he said, yes, he could start next to Bobby Okereke, but it's an open competition. And we know it's an open competition, but we've seen Bobby Okereke praise Michael McFadden as a technician. So maybe, and I wanted to pose this to you, Dan, just about Michael McFadden. Look, We've questioned his overall athletic ability. He was out of position a lot. It seemed like there was a lot going on in his head. And just going back to his tape at Indiana, he was much more effective when he was coming forward in the box and also blitzing. But if he develops the mental side to know where he has to be in coverage, do you think maybe he could possibly overcome some of the athletic limitations that we thought we saw in his first year as an NFL pro? Yeah, I think certainly, Nick. And I think this is a really good start for him in OTAs because we've seen him catch a lot of buzz just starting back, dating back to that seventh OTA practice. Just let's look at the overall profile here. He's starting to get a lot of first team reps next to Bobby Okereke. He got praise from Bobby Okereke after practice and from Wick Martindale. And, uh, and these were subsequent days. Bobby Okereke uh, praised him after the seventh practice. And then today when the coordinator spoke, Wink Martindale praised him. And you have to listen to the, you know, you have to read the tea leaves and listen to the coaches and the players on this one. There's a reason why he's starting to not only work in with Bobby Okereke in that first team defense early in OTAs, but also make an interception, get his hands on a pass. It's because of the awareness factor. And I think a big thing with McFadden was, yes, we looked at the film last year and we saw some areas of his game where we we're like, Eh, will he ever really have the functional lateral agility and quickness to be someone we want out there in zone defense or, you know, with this, you know, flipping his hips and trying to cover a running back one on one? Sure, we had those question marks, but part of why he struggled last season and ultimately leading to his benching was the awareness factor as well. So that's like, it's a half thing. Like you have the athleticism, you also have the awareness. And if he can kind of improve on that second bucket, the awareness and get to a point where he understands this defense so well. Remember, he's in a different system than the one he was at in IU. And they even asked him to do a lot of different things. Yeah, Wink Martin had him moving forward sometimes, which he was really good at. But he didn't have in Indiana, it was like a lot of just straight up like you're shooting the you're shooting gaps all the time in this defense. We're playing it super aggressively. We're in the Big Ten. We're facing these heavy personnel packages. They're running the football a lot. It's the NFL. There's not a lot of heavy personnel packages on the opposing side of the ball. There's not a lot of running the football either for most of these teams. So it was a different ballpark for him. And if he can get that awareness up, I think you're going to start to see him build on this. And this is the start of what we like to call the steady drum beat, Nick. Like, right? Like the start is you get praise from the coaches, you get the 
the praise from your teammates. You start to work in more often with the first team defense and the reps start to show up. And then your awareness starts to let you make plays like we're seeing in OTAs, the interception, the other pass that he got deflected. So I think there is room for growth for McFadden, even if maybe his athletic limitations prevent him from being a breakout linebacker or like even to the level what Bobby Okereke does, because we'll talk about this soon. But Okereke even said it like my speed gives me an edge on the NFL field. I'm not sure that will ever be the case for McFadden, but if he can get his awareness up, he can be that LB2 stopgap type solution with maybe a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more upside than that. And if we look at McFadden last year, I think it was like 15% of his snaps. He was aligned on the edge and that wasn't always on third down. Like Wink Martindale, he would align his linebackers on the edge and create like a five, six man front. If it was base personnel, he'd create a six man front because you have the three down line and the two edges. And then you, if you put a linebacker there, it's going to be six men, but giants were nickel a lot last year. And he would create a five-man front with the two interior defensive linemen, the edges, and then put McFadden out there. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he actually defeated Charles Cross for a sack against Seattle. I think he uh, ended up just winning through the outside shoulder and then crashing into the pocket. Geno Smith had to step up because of pressure from the opposite side from, I think it was Kayvon Thibodeau. And McFadden ended up getting a sack. And I think he also had a sack. Uh, against the Eagles in the uh, last game of the season before he ultimately ended up getting benched. And that's the thing about Michael McFadden that's interesting. One reason why we were a little pessimistic on him was he wasn't benched once. He was benched twice. He was benched in Green Bay after he blew two coverages and you saw Xavier McKinney like yelling at him like get over get over and then Josiah DeGuara like won in the flat and had like a 13 or 14 yard gain against him and then he made another mistake two plays later four plays into his snaps he ends up getting benched you don't really see him that much on defense he earns another another role later on in the season as somebody who's getting you know 30 40 snaps in the game and then the Giants decide to go with Gerard Davis Gerard Davis ends up starting through the playoffs for him that's not a great look for a rookie but still he is a rookie so you're right about that steady drumbeat so maybe we should not forget that those things happen but maybe we should start to reevaluate and be like yeah we've been talking about Darian Beavers we're talking about Gerard Davis maybe somebody else but maybe it's possible that Mike McFadden is actually the one who's going to win that linebacker two job and then just like it was with Austin Kalicho, and I hate to bring that name up when we're talking about Micah McFadden because it's going to be neg very negative, but maybe it will be Micah McFadden's job to lose. And if he doesn't make those catastrophic mistakes that Kalitro made early in the season, then he'll actually retain and hold on to that job. And I think you're right. He'd be a, more of a stopgap starter. He's not just going to be a dominant player, but somebody who is good coming forward and operates well as a tackler in the box, but might just be a little bit limited in terms of his coverage, but if he can get the mental part down, right. then he can mask those limitations. I, I completely agree with you on that last part. I think that's the kind of conclusion of this. If he can get the mental part down and the awareness is at a different level than it was in year one, because it's like you look at some of it and it's like, yeah, maybe some of it is a lateral agility you know, stop, stop, stop right there. Like it gets to a certain point, but we feel like looking back right before his benching, some of that was just, he was like slow off the snap. Like he just wasn't in the right spot in coverage. And that can be easily fixed by him understanding the defense more. And if he's taken that next jump from a mental processing standpoint, that could give him an edge over all of those guys. You just mentioned at linebacker too, including Darian Beavers, who is coming off an ACL. And we know that NFL players in their first year off the ACL are not really back to full strength. Like they, they can play, Medical science has really improved, but they're not the same player they were in, in many of the cases. There's very few cases where, you know, the player is just as good off the ACL. Obviously, Adrian Peterson after six months, but like nobody has what he had, which is like the scar tissue of a baby in his right knee, as described by Dr. James Andrews. So like we're not going to get that with Darian Beavers, probably, but there still is hope for him. Obviously, he's going to have a chance to compete. But like you said, there's probably the chance here for McFadden if he has making that if he has taken that mental jump, like it seems like he has to 
to just run away with this job and run away with this role. And it'll be interesting to see because I think he can offer a little bit more, not only as that guy who's coming forward and shooting gaps in the run game, but like you said, some snaps off the edge, some snaps blitzing the A-gap, and then hopefully a better feel for zone coverage. And speaking of Bobby Okereke too, Dan, he knocked two passes away on June 5th. Again, seven on seven. It's not, not the biggest deal, but he also had some really high praise from McFadden. We brought it up, but I wanted to read the exact quote. It was, I love Michael McFadden, is what Okereke said. I think he's a technician, which we brought up a little bit earlier. Great player, smart guy. So that is some high praise for from Okereke. And also Okereke earned... Some pretty high praise from Wink Martindale. This is his exact quote. He's fun to watch him play because of his size, his strength, but most of all, he's a good guy. He's a really intelligent kid and knows football, and it's not hard to talk football with him. So all those things have been great, and we've just got to get ready to take the next step, which for me is vacation. And that's just Wink Martindale being Wink Martindale. But they were also talking about how he's going to wear the green dot, and Wink Martindale mentioned the green dot. Look, it's going to go to Xavier McKinney. Sometimes it's going to go to Bobby Okereke. It's just, we want the best communicator out there. It doesn't mean that you're the number one guy on the defense or the best player on the defense. We want somebody who's going to be the best communicator. What's the number one thing we've heard about Bobby Okereke since he came over? Yes, he's long. Yes, he's very athletic. He's a true competitor. I think he's embodied everything it means to be a New York giant, but he's a Stanford guy. He's very smart. So I think that's another reason why we're seeing Wink Martindale use Bobby Okereke with the green dot. Because if anything were to happen to Xavier McKinney, maybe Bobby Okereke, even though he's a linebacker, we know the Giants like to use quarter personnel. Bobby Okereke is an athletic linebacker, though. So maybe you won't see as much quarter just because Okereke will be out there. I still think we'll see quarter. Okereke's athletic ability is going to allow him to play more snaps than a lot of other linebackers the Giants have had over recent years. Yeah, and you're right about that. And it's good to have two people kind of operating in that role right now with the green dot. The two main people, I know he said he has about four or five people using that right now. They're going to see who the best communicator is. I think it'll ultimately come down to McKinney or Okereke. And just to have both them cross-trained in that type of uh, regard is a good thing. I want to talk a little bit about another another steady drumbeat type player so far. Darren Waller continues to thrive in OTAs. Again, OTAs, but at the same time, he presents that big target for Daniel Jones. They're utilizing him in a bunch of different ways. They're aligning him in a bunch of different ways already. We have all that confirmed. At this point, like, is there a possibility that Darren Waller and Daniel Jones could just click? And from day one, we're looking at like six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 targets a game type potential. That's what I hope. I just think he's going to dictate so much coverage and the Giants coaching staff is so adaptive that they will start to tailor their offense to, you know, attack the defense with Saquon Barkley or Jalen Hyatt or Darius Slayton or some other players. But if the defense isn't going to focus, you know, two bodies on Darren Waller, I think Darren Waller is going to feast as long as he stays healthy. Darren Waller is your number one receiving target on this team. And you have Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. Both of these guys know how to call plays. They know how to exploit the defense. They know how to take advantage of defensive vulnerabilities. And they know how to create mismatches. And we we're going to see Darren Waller thrive if he can, again, stay healthy and if the defense doesn't just put two bodies on him and say, beat us with somebody else. But right now, with all the other weapons the Giants have, they can beat defenses with other players. We know over the last, what, half decade or so, since Saquon Barkley came in, what has been the number one focus of defenses? It's shut down 26. Well, now you're going to have Darren Waller out there. So shutting down 26 could take a backseat to that if Waller is feasting early in the first quarter, forcing the defense to really alter their approach to stop Waller more so than Barkley. Yeah, and so far through OTAs, according to those who have evaluated them, and mostly coming from Giants.com writers because not all of these have been open to the media, 
Waller and Jones have been connecting at all three levels, not just in the red zone, not just in the short passing game in the vertical passing game. I'm really curious to see and excited to see Daniel Jones with Darren Waller, because ultimately when you look back at this, Daniel Jones has really not had a receiving option like this at any point in his career. The one time the giants tried to get him something like this with Kenny Galladay, it was a completely different scenario because Kenny Galladay won more on the vert before he got to the giants. This is just about before he got to the Giants. And then we'll talk about why it didn't work with the Giants in a second, most of which you know. But before he got to the Giants, he won mostly on the vertical plane as an outside receiver. That's not really how Darren Waller's wins for the most part. Like, yeah, there'll be some snaps where he's isolated as the X and a back end, you know, backside of a three by one. And maybe they might use him in the vertical area. I don't even think there's going to be too many of those. But for the most part, he's going to be operating around the line of scrimmage, detached from it as a big slot. And with the, and trying to win, even if it is on the vertical plane, up the seam. Or, you know, with those in-breaking routes that we know Jones throws really well. The dig route is Jones' best throw by far. It's by far his most consistent throw. It's the one he drives the best. It's the one he has the best ball placement on. Nothing really compares to what he to him throwing those digs. And that's been the case for him since he was a rookie. It was the case for him in the Jason Garrett era. And it was the case for him last year. That's an area of the field I think Darren Waller thrives on is able to get open on. But it's also an area of the field Kenny Galladay was never really able to get open on. I think what happened with Galladay is, yes, he was that receiver who won on the vertical plane as an isolated X with Detroit. But after that hip surgery, I don't think he was a receiver that won in any way because he wasn't able to create separation off the line of scrimmage. And he was so slow off the snap. But Darren Waller is not slow off the snap. Like if he's going to play injured at some point, maybe he will be. But as of now, a healthy Darren Waller is going to present something that I don't really feel like the Giants have had. The closest thing I can even think of, and this is not a comparison because he wasn't like this, was that brief stretch in 2019 that he had with Caden Smith when he was kind of utilizing. And it's not a, it's not a similar comparison because Caden Smith obviously doesn't have the same kind of burst off the line of scrimmage that Waller has. He doesn't even have the same kind of raw speed that Waller has. But that time period, that four-game stretch for Daniel Jones and Caden Smith at the end of 2019, his rookie season, he was starting to utilize that type of receiver in the scene, in that middle-breaking area of the field, intermediate. And we even saw a little bit of that last year, not with not with bigger targets, but with Darius Slayton running kind of those like deep over routes and you know just finding ways to kind of use utilize that middle intermediate of the field. But he hasn't had anything like Darren Waller. Even you're talking about like back shoulder balls, Nick, or the ability to make throws that allow the receiver to extend away from his frame. It's hard to trust Kenny Galladay to do that when he's never winning off the line of scrimmage. But Darren Waller will win off the line of scrimmage and will create that early separation. And sometimes if you're Daniel Jones, maybe all you need to see is, did that receiver win that route early? And if he did, can I, and that in this case, Darren Waller, I'm just calling him a receiver. He's a tight end. He's a receiver, whatever. And can Darren, Dan, can I get the ball out into a certain area of the field where I can allow him to extend away from, from his frame? And maybe if you're thinking about it from his perspective, with Kenny Galladay, he just maybe never felt confident in that. And you have to think Mike Kafka is aware of this because Mike Kafka, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he talked about how every position group they have identified not weaknesses, but things to improve upon. And you have to imagine one of those things for Daniel Jones is taking opportunities when they arise. And now that you add Darren Waller, those opportunities are going to be much uh, more available because Kenny Galladay was that player last, as you, as you pointed out, he was that big bodied threat that you had. Kenny Galladay, that, that that's that's just did not work out, obviously. And Isaiah Hodgins, he's a big-bodied guy, but he's a different play style than a player like a Darren Waller. So I think Daniel Jones is going to be a little bit more aggressive in those situations, especially now that they have these type of upgrade with the Darren Waller. And there's another name, Dan. Are you finished on Darren Waller? And can I transition to another yeah. player that keeps popping up in these OTAs? And again, this is OTAs, but 
it reminds me a little bit of a player from last year. And the player I'm referring to right now is Jamison Crowder, because on June 5th, some of the notes from Giants.com were Jamison Crowder is really well represented here. He's very quick, excellent route runner out of the slot, very reliable hand. Came up with a couple of touchdown catches. Again, Waller had a couple of touchdown catches. Deshaun Corbin had a touch, a couple touchdown catches. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but the fact that his name is highlighted is interesting to me for a couple reasons. For starters, you know the Giants are looking for a reliable punt returner. It doesn't need to be the most athletic, the most agile player, just somebody who isn't going to fumble the freaking football. And that presumably is one reason why the Giants brought in Jamison Crowder. But if we remember back to OTAs last year, minicamp, all that, right before training camp, there was a name that was circulating that the Giants and people just didn't really know that much about, and that was Richie James, who ended up having a huge role with the New York Giants. Now, Giants have a ton of slot receivers right now, but if Jamison Crowder can secure a spot as a punt returner, do you think he can offer any sort of value if injuries do happen or possibly even if injuries don't happen just because he is such a good refined route runner who is very smart and we know the intelligence is such an important part of playing offense under Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka? Yes, I think he can, Nick. And I think the fact that he may be offering that reliability as a punt returner could give him a better chance to make the roster than we think and than most people think right now. I think for most Giants fans, he's a total afterthought. But I think the reality is, if you look across the NFL, this happens sometimes. A player like Jamison Crowder, who is essentially a slot-only receiver and who's a little bit older, doesn't have great athletic traits, never did, people assume maybe they get worse with age can miss, you know, can have an unproductive or, you know, cannot make an impact in a season like 2022. And then right away in 2023, he can make an impact if he's in the right situation and the right spot. And there's literally no better place for him to go, in my opinion, than here because of the way this offense is set up right now. We saw, like you said, last season, Richie James have a lot of success with the giants. I think Richie game was pretty good on film, Nick, but I don't think that he's better than what Jamison Crowder could do in that exact role as far as getting open quick and separating. And a lot of the layup routes in this offense are going to go through the slot. So whoever does get that role, and there is competition for Crowder. So it's going to be Crowder, Sterling Shepard, Wandell Robinson. Those are the guarantees. And Harris, Campbell. Harris Campbell. I think yeah. they might have in mind a, a possibility, and we'll see how this evolves through camp. It's just kind of something I've been thinking about in my head when thinking about this receiver core. I think there's a possibility Barris Campbell could earn some snaps on the outside. Out of that entire group, I think he has the best chance to earn snaps on the outside. We'll see if that happens. He is also smaller like the rest of them. He hasn't exactly done a lot of it in his career. But I'm just curious how they're planning to go about having so many options in the slot. But if Crowder does get that opportunity to play the Richie James role, it's a super productive role. And it leads to a lot of layup throws for the quarterback and layup routes for the receiver. And I honestly feel like Crowder can get open, can separate early. He's not going to give you much after the catch. He's not going to extend for away from his frame. He's probably not going to give you a threat of, oh, can this guy be running a slot vert right now when he's on the field? But when you need third and four, when you need just to operate and get that passing game going early, quick passing game, you're running out of the gun, he could probably give that to you better than some, than some of what we have on the roster now or what we've had on the roster in the past. I just don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. Like when we signed, when the Giants signed him, we were like, ah, Jameson Crowder, he's old, coming off an injury. But, but you never know is what I'm putting out there, especially if you can nail down that punt return responsibility. In terms of Paris Campbell, it's uh, unfortunate that he was hurt through 2020 and 2021 right. because his wide receiver coach then was Mike Rowe, who's the current Giants wide receiver coach, which is one reason more than likely why Paris Campbell is on the roster right now. But he played so little in 2020 and 2021. He only had nine targets in 2020, and he aligned... 
41 snaps in the slot, two out wide. But then the next year, still under Mike Rowe in 2021, when he returned healthy, he aligned only 12 times in the slot and 118 times out wide. You can read into it whichever way you want. Maybe it's like, hey, we want to try you out wide, but it could also do with the personnel that they had that year and they thought Paris Campbell was a better option. But at least we know in Mike Groh's mind, it's an option to align him out wide if you want to right. use him in that. And I think he's flexible enough to where you can do both. I think you can align him in the backfield similar to how Washington has used Curtis Samuel in certain packages as well, similar to how the Giants used Wondell Robinson at parts last season. So I think Paris Campbell's skill set overall is just um, uh, flexible enough to, to use him in a bunch of different ways. One other thing, too, I wanted to mention just on OTA practice 7 on June 5th, the red zone drills, Darnay Holmes' name came up. He had an interception. So that's just a name that I've seen like, oh, should the Giants cut him? Is he going to earn slot snaps? Anytime I see something positive about him, I want to at least acknowledge it because I don't know if he's going to be the starter. We brought up the fact that he is really good in run support. I think that's very important. I think it's a little underrated. He doesn't really get the credit for it because he gets a little grabby in coverage and he's a little bit, I don't want to say a liability in coverage. Like He's better than the Grant Haley's of the world. But you can improve upon that position. If Cordell Flock can rise to the occasion training camp, maybe Cordell Flock will steal the slot from Darnay Holmes. But I wanted to at least acknowledge that he had that interception. And also, Colin Johnson's name keeps coming up with the second team with Tyrod Taylor. That's another note from, from uh, the fifth that I wanted to acknowledge. Yeah, it's worth noting, especially because Darnay Holmes, we all have this, we all have this expectation that things will go as we plan and as we hope. Some of us hope, I should say. And Cordell Flott will man the slot, or even Aaron Robinson maybe will man the slot if it is Adoree Jackson and Deontay Banks who, who start on day one. But Darnay Holmes is the one who's done it so far, for the most part. Darnay Holmes is the one who has most of those snaps for the Giants, has most of that experience, has the full year in that system, essentially, barring a few snaps of playing that role. So he may have a decent opportunity to get that. And it is funny how like the Giants have gone from Grant Haley to Darnay Holmes, two very similar players, but I agree. Darnay Holmes is a upgrade in coverage, though they both are kind of like similarly good around the line of scrimmage despite being small. But we're hoping, obviously, that Cordell Flock can progress the way that we're expecting him to, to play in that role. And that leads me to a little bit of the discussion on day, uh, the eighth OTA practice on June 6th, which was the day after. Um, another name who's been flashing a lot during OTAs, not just on this practice where he did, it's Javarius Owens, the the rookie for the Giants. Any thoughts on Javarius Owens potentially having a bigger role than we're kind of thinking uh, in year one? Yeah, Chad Smith, man, he's steadily beating that drum right now. Javarius Owens is, what, a seventh round pick, I believe he was. And his teammate in college at Houston was Thomas McGahee's son. So there was a little bit of a connection there where Thomas McGay was on campus and kind of got to know the individual. And we know that's important with this coaching staff. You want to look in and bring in the right guys. He was a leader on that Houston team. He was also someone who was a transfer early on in his collegiate career. So I do believe, yes, there could possibly be a role there. It's going to be earned on special teams, but if it's week five and six, and we have some issues in run support, and this is where it gets a little tricky because Bobby McCain is a step down from Julian Love and run support. I think the Giants are going to miss Julian yeah. Love. I think Dane Belton is also a step. I think they're everybody on this Giants roster, not named Xavier McKinney, is a step down from Julian Love and run support. And you can even argue that Julian Love is better than Xavier McKinney in certain parts of run support. I don't even think that's a ridiculous take. But Javarius Owens sucked in run support at Houston, but he was excellent in coverage. If the quarter package comes out, or if the dime package comes out, or if a three safety look comes out, Javarius Owens could earn snaps. 
because of his ability to process. I remember he was smart, man. He was able to read route concepts. I think he has solid range. He's he's a really good athlete, and he's good at the catch point as well, getting his hands and disrupting wide receivers. So I wouldn't be shocked if he earns a role in those sub packages that are a little bit lighter. It's just run support. I wish he was a little bit better in because if Bobby McCain has those issues, Dan, I don't know what safety is going to come in and, and be that 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 force in run support. Maybe Jason Pinnock. Maybe Dane Belton, if he can clean up a little bit of his inconsistencies with tackling. But I don't know if Owens or McCain are going to um, really be forces in run support just because of their film, McCain, dating back to his time at Miami and for Owens, his time at Houston. And I wonder with Javarius Owens, because I know you've watched a lot more film on him than I have. I wonder if it's possible, at least in the range of outcomes, that he can... that. What he struggled with in run defense last year and in the ability was was more form based and was more technique based than anything else. And if that's the case, can the Giants coaches kind of get him up to speed? Because it seems to me evaluating him as a prospect and what I've seen from him that he has the frame to be a good tackler at the NFL level. It's more so just technique, discipline and things of that nature. Is that something you think can be fixed in year one? Or is that something that even the Giants themselves look at more of like a long-term project as far as developing him goes in run defense? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I think it usually always comes down to form because it's not like he's getting bowled over. It's not a lack of strength or a yeah. lack of desire. It's just when he's at the tackle point, can he break down, become square, aim low, wrap up, twist, get the guy to the ground? Or is he somebody who just dives at the first opportunity that he sees and leaves himself susceptible to being juked to either side. This is somebody last year at an 18.4% missed tackle rate. That's not good. Year before 15.6, not good. 11.5 the year before that, not terrible, not great. 16.4 the year before that. So he had 36 missed tackles through four years at Houston. And to me, that is a little problematic. And that's more than likely the reason 
he was a seventh round pick. Cause when you watch him in coverage, it seems like his head is on straight. It seems like he knows where he needs to be. It's not like he's getting blown by in coverage there. The athletic ability was never really an issue in terms of the play speed on tape. It all came down to run support. And you know, that's very valuable. Your last line of defense as a safety, but seventh round pick, if he can clean that up, Jerome Henderson, one of the best defensive back coaches in the league, then maybe you can find something here with a player. And we know the roster spot is there. We think Bobby McCain has the inside track. We would say Dane Belton has that next crack at it. Maybe a Jason Pinnock, you know, can you convert Trey Hawkins over to be safety? Possibly who knows? I would not count out Javarius Owens, especially if he makes his team through special teams, which I think he will. Yeah. I wonder if, like you said, having that connection to McGay gives him the leg up to make the team via special teams and what he can offer their year one. I wonder how fast he could kind of turn that aspect of his game around. To me, it feels like with the right coaching that has a decent chance to kind of make a big leap versus some other things with other players where it's just like the athletic limitations are there or something of that nature. Let's talk about a more high-end player on this roster, both in the secondary and the overall roster, a player who at this point is most likely not consider or I'm sorry is most likely considered one of the potential building blocks of this roster though some people have questioned to me at least and to you Nick because I've seen it in your DMs or your replies as well is he really as good as we think he is and is he really worth investing in as a building block and that's Xavier McKinney because Xavier McKinney has been making some plays in early OTAs he had an interception that he pulled down toward the sideline which I love to see just because he's working more uh, in deep coverage there he had a deflection red zone uh, in red zone drills this is from the second practice he had five interceptions in 2021, but that number plummeted last year. Overall on Xavier McKinney, Nick, where do you stand on, you know, is the production, what like, is he someone who's next in line for you in the sense of like, they extended Dexter Lawrence. We know that Andrew Thomas co contract is coming next at some point. We don't know when. Both deals are top of market. Like, yes, Dexter Lawrence wasn't the highest paid D tackle ever, but, and Andrew Thomas might not be the highest paid left tackle ever, though he might be. He has a chance to be. They're still top of market deals. They're respectively in their top five with a ton of guaranteed money. Is Xavier McKinney in that tier for you? And if not, what does he have to prove this season to belong in that tier? I don't think he right now is top tier, like, you know, resetting the market type. I don't know how much of that is because of the injury. I don't want to necessarily hold that against him, but we saw, I would say, very good safety play in 2021. Last year, I think we saw good safety play. He just, he didn't have those impactful game changing type of plays, which I think he's fully capable of having. So I think if he comes out and he actually starts making those plays, it doesn't even have to be that many. You make like three in a year that flip a game, interception, pick six, something like that. It can change the entire perception around you. The things I like though about Xavier McKinney is what is his weak spot? Because remember, this is somebody who missed the majority of his rookie season, came back for the Cincinnati Bengals game, played a couple plays. And then early in 2021, we discussed on our podcast, I remember he was out of position a couple of times in match coverage. I remember one time he had a deep half and he completely ignored the number three receiver. And I don't think the linebacker was supposed to carry him. I think that was his responsibility. I'm not 100% certain, but that's what at least it seemed like. And the guy ran and I think it was going to be a touchdown, but the ball was overthrown. And we were like, yo, that's inexcusable. But ever since then, we haven't seen as many mental mistakes from Xavier McKinney. So to me, this is a player who last season we saw him blitz. He was getting pressure, right? We saw him knock a few passes down at the line of scrimmage. I remember early in the year against Carolina, I think he had like two PBUs at the line of scrimmage. We saw against the Colts, I think, playing center field in the middle of the field closed defense. I think it was cover one. I don't think it was cover three. I think it was cover one. He ended up getting a PBU towards the sideline, showing the range that we know he possesses. And in run support, he's not a liability whatsoever. He can come and he can fill the alley. And I would say that he's good in that area. So what is his weak point? 
To me, I just think he needs to harness the energy that he had in 2021 and come away with those game-changing type of plays that we saw against Las Vegas. And once he does that, might be starting to talk about him in that top of the safety range. What is the top safety getting paid right now? I think Derwin James is getting paid like a lot. But other than him, and then I, I think the kid who just got signed was Jesse with Cincinnati Bates. and I was in Atlanta. Yeah, Jesse Bates. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to get paid that much, but you're talking about like what, 16 maybe if he has another really good season or or has a really good season as opposed to a good that season. One that was he has four years, 64 for Bates with uh, 36 over the first two years, about 18 over those first two years. Okay. So about 18, I think it would be like 16 right now. If, if Xavier McKinney like stagnates and he's good, but he's not like excellent, but if he could take it to another level, maybe he can start challenging for 18, 19, which I want him to take it to another level. I don't want him to start challenging for 18, 19. So to answer your question, I would say there's a possibility he can put himself in that, but I, I just need to see more of those really impactful game changing plays. I also love the ability that I didn't even bring up is man coverage ability. That was huge down the stretch of the season. Yep. TJ Hawkinson murdered the Giants. So they were like, all right, we're going to put Xavier McKinney on you. Xavier McKinney, I don't want to say he shut him down, but he really limited the production that TJ Hawkinson had in that first matchup. And TJ Hawkinson is one of the better receiving tight ends in the league. Now we just need to see him do that against Dallas Goddard because we also saw Xavier McKinney lose in the playoff game against Dallas Goddard on that little rub type of route where he lost positioning and Dallas Goddard ended up scoring a touchdown. Yeah, I think you you nailed it pretty much here, Nick. I would say that I would want to see, for me, from my standpoint, I would want to see a few more big game-changing plays in the deep half, but also maybe a few more sacks in the, you know, around the line of scrimmage. And then if he can take to that that next step in man coverage and be somebody who shuts down more than just, you know, TJ Hawkinson, it would be like across the board, all those big slots and big tight ends. That's when I start to see a difference. And that's when I start to see someone who might be worth that contract. Because right now you look at Jesse Bates, as for example, who signed with the Falcons after really some great years in Cincinnati. He was a more of a game changer, I feel like, than McKinney was. McKinney to me right now feels like someone who, if he was utilized in the deep half the entire time, he'd probably have better box score stats than we saw last season. But he's going to be asked to do everything. Like that's not going to be his role. McMartindale's defense. We know they're going to use him on a scrimmage. We know they're going to use him over the slot. So he has to really be good in three different areas. He's asked to do a harder job in that regard, but we need to see him kind of dominate in at least one of those areas. I think to get into that 15, $16 million per year range. I also don't want to sell him short though, because now that I'm like, I'm thinking through a little bit, mm -hmm. he had that PBU on fourth and one against green Bay on the blitz too. Yeah. Yep. And I think he had a play against CD lamb in the slot, if I'm not mistaken, where he got into CD lamb's hip and it was going to be a touchdown if he wasn't there. And he was able to like, just disrupt the catch point, and knock the ball down. So he was able to match speed for speed with CD lamb as like the number two or the number three receiver up in the deep half. So he was making plays in the deep half. He was making plays around the line of scrimmage. It just seemed like after he got injured and then he came back, he didn't have access to both of his hands. And it was also like a souring moment. It's like, dude, we're playing really well right now. You're one of these team captains and you get injured. What the hell? Which I think is valid. But at the same time, I do also believe it. It was just an unfortunate mistake, you know, just a terrible accident that ended up befalling Xavier McKinney. Those plays that happened early in the season, though, I don't, I don't want to forget. I, like that, that Green Bay play was huge. That was a fourth and one that helped the Giants win that football game right. on the road against a team that maybe wasn't as good as we thought at the time, but still a team that had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's wrap this up by talking about some of the quotes that stood out to us today from uh, Mike Kafka and from Wink Martindale. Nothing too crazy from Thomas McGay. They kind of asked him, like, dude, are you worried about the NFL basically making special teams minim as minimized as it gets with every decision? He's like, yeah, kind of. It's kind of like, yeah, kind of. I was like, oh, shit, that was kind of weird. Uh, but uh, let's start with Wink Martindale. Anything that stood out to you about him? I think for me, I'll start with 
Um, I'll, I'll, we'll go this and I can get into anything that you saw. I, I really thought it was interesting. The point he made about how quarterbacks get rid of the football against the giants faster than any team in the NFL. He said they face more max protection than anybody in the league said that's a fact through pro football focus. Um, so he's going to obviously be looking for different ways to kind of beat the max max protection, but it, just from your standpoint, Nick, on like kind of an overall football level, if you're a defensive coordinator and somebody was playing max protection against you as often as teams are playing against the giants, what would your counter be to that? I think it would all depend on the situation, who the quarterback is, who the receivers are. So if we think about what Wink Martindale does, and I do like Wink Martindale's strategy, pressure breaks pipe. You dictate to the offense. If you have a middling quarterback, back there with receivers who let's say are a little bit above average let's say like the new york giants receivers for instance and you have corners like a dory jackson deontay uh, deontay banks and say a really good slot i'm okay with playing cover zero say if it is like third and six plus which kind of is what the new york giants did in the giants in these third and five third and four situations they would sometimes align six seven guys in the line of scrimmage but they would bail some of them out they would also use like simulated pressures with zone on the back end. Like they did a lot of different nifty things, but when it was like third and 11, <laughs> you would dial that blitz up against a lot of quarterbacks. But it was weird because against Trevor Lawrence, it was a little bit different. Trevor Lawrence, a young quarterback. You think he was going to really send a lot of pressure against him. But remember, he dropped eight on three consecutive plays, only sending three. That was a, a wild, um, a wild materialization that we saw there from Wink Martindale. Do you remember that play? Or those yes. that sequence of plays when we're like, yo, I thought he was going to bring the blitz. He did not. He was very passive yeah. against Trevor Lawrence, which I felt was pretty interesting. But in terms of your question, what I would do, I I am fine with bringing the pressure. I'm fine with scheming up that extra rusher because that's what you do. You'd be like, hey, the offense needs to find his guy really quickly. If you have the corners who can get up and press and disrupt the release and you have a free rusher, which the Giants are one of the elite teams at, at uh, just – scheming i mean how many times do the giants have a free rusher you just need that free rusher to get home i felt like a lot a lot of times last year the free rusher didn't end up getting home he ended up missing the sack opportunity but i'm i actually like the uh the philosophy of dictating and sending rather than dropping eight but i do think a lot of it is um it, it just comes down to who you're playing against how they're playing what route concepts they use what your personnel is and just a lot of those type of variables yeah and it is interesting like you said how how it changed versus different quarterbacks the giants are going to have more quarterbacks on the schedule this year than they did last year that are like Trevor Lawrence in the sense that they can attack all areas of the field with velocity, with ball placement, with a willingness and aggressiveness to throw those whole shots. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts it. I think when you get to that point, Nick, where it's those types of quarterbacks and Lawrence wasn't really even at that point last year from a mental processing standpoint, but some of these guys they're facing this year will be at that point already from a mental processing standpoint and have the arm talent along with it. You really just can't afford to blitz those guys that, that often. Like we've seen it throughout the NFL history. You can't blitz Patrick Mahomes. That's a death trap in the NFL these days. And there, that was the case for Tom Brady. That was the case for Drew Brees at points in his career. So when you get to that point, I think he will adjust, like you said, like he did against Jacksonville in that game, you'll see a different game plan from Wink Martindale, but it is interesting to see him kind of talk about how, you know what? I have noticed how teams are playing so much max protect against us. I think it's also something that Wink Martindale has to do. And it's something that he always has done is use the like sugaring the A gap, sugaring the B gap and doing that. And what I mean by sugaring the A gap, I just did a piece on Big Blue View about it. If anybody wants to go check it out, you align in the A gap and then you bail into coverage. And there were a couple sacks this past season. I just reviewed the film and it kind of refreshed my memory where Tony Jefferson was aligned in the A gap. I think there was one against Green Bay where Tony Jefferson was aligned in the A gap. He sugared it. The guard had to step to him 
And then the guard got isolated against Dexter Lawrence, who was aligned in like a four eye technique. So he had just basically a path through the outside shoulder of the guard and the tackle tried to help him because it's Dexter freaking Lawrence, but yet going around the edge, the tackle had to pay attention to him. You create those one-on-one matchups because you have to be cognizant and you have to account for players who are on the line of scrimmage. If you're an offensive player in protection. So just by crowding the line of scrimmage, it can manipulate the pass protection and stuff that we've talked about all throughout the season. But by doing that, when you have players like Leonard Williams, who healthy Leonard Williams, and then a healthy Dexter Lawrence, getting those one-on-one matchups are invaluable. So that's another reason why I love how Wink Martindale crowds the line of scrimmage to really just put so much pressure on the protection package to be correct, because that can either lead to miscommunications, scheme free rushers, which we know the Giants do when they blitz, or just create one-on-one matchups. With the, with the horses the Giants have right now, one-on-one matchup is very valuable, and it's typically going to result in a win for the Giants. For sure. I think there's something also to be said about what Wink Martindale said when asked about the possibility of never becoming a head coach in the NFL. Obviously, he went through another interview cycle this offseason. He didn't get a job. It seems more and more likely he won't get a head coach job at any point. He says, I know it sounds a little dramatic, but I'm at peace with everything, and I'm excited to be the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. And the day that I'm not is the day they say, hey, did you hear that Wink retired? I thought that was interesting. He says, every day I get up, I can't wait to get to the building around these group, these guys. It's always better when the players are here because we find too much stuff to do when the players aren't here. And I think that could give a Giants a little bit of an edge moving forward, Nick, just in the sense that having Wink Barndale kind of locked in as his defensive coordinator, and I really do feel like his relationship with Brian Dable, Brian Dable's trust in him, where it's the point where, like, even if they go through a stretch of four or five games or maybe they're super injured and they're giving up a ton of points and Wink's, quote-unquote, not coaching a good game, which to me is mostly just going to be player-dependent. Like, you know, everybody kind of blames it on the coach. Well, it's not always the coach's fault. I think even if they go through that stretch, he'll still keep his job, and this could give them an edge in roster building because as they draft, they're going to take more and more players like Deontay Banks and whoever else they select on the defensive side of the ball that fit Wink Martindale's system specifically to a T and are drafted higher because of how they fit the system. And now that you know you have a good feeling, it's kind of like what the Chiefs have had, I feel like, over there with Steve Sagnolo kind of settled in as, I'm going to be the defensive coordinator for this team. I'm not going to be a head coach again at this point. And I'm good with that. And I'm cool with that. I'm running the Chiefs defense. And you guys keep drafting me players that fit my system. And that's going to give us a potential edge. It's going to give the Giants a potential edge, I think. With the Giants' schedule this year, though, if the defense rises to, say, like a top five level, mm-hmm. they just ball out. And you have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence clicking on all cylinders, and they're shutting down the run. Even though the NFL is going towards a more offensive approach, I wouldn't be shocked if Wink Martindale gets serious consideration again. And if he does get that serious consideration, I would imagine he would entertain it. He's not just going to be like, nope, I'm the New York Giants defensive coordinator. I'm done. Like Steve Spagnola has been a head coach before. He has already done that and he's tied to Patrick Mahomes right now he's just going to win Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator I think Wink Martindale he's never had that opportunity if it did present itself I would I would imagine he would have to entertain that yeah I think so and we'll see what happens on that front on the Mike Kafka interview I, I I'll be honest with with the listeners here Nick I I'm looking through this thing I really wish there were some better questions asked no offense to these reporters I know it's hard to ask these questions especially when you have somebody like Mike Kafka who is just totally in on I'm going to be a head coach at some point. I think I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to say anything that could take that away. He even said in one of his things, like, yeah, there's areas I want to Daniel Jones to improve on in year two of the system, but it's nothing specific that I would share in a public forum. That's what, that's what Kafka said, but there are ways I think in my opinion to do better things than is creating explosive plays a priority. Yes, of course. Can Daniel Jones improve in year two? Yes, of course. 
Did you add options from the offseason? Yes, of course. Maybe things like what makes Jalen Hyatt a great route runner? What makes Jalen Hyatt somebody that you believe can evolve? Just like specific things about players that yeah. we can get some insight on. It doesn't have to be things that he was because he, he he's going to give away that. If you ask him, like, what caught your attention about Jalen Hyatt's game? He's going to give you some kind of nice coach speak about it. But ultimately, we didn't really get much of that in this interview. Um, he did talk a little bit about Hyatt, but it's just Jalen's doing a nice job. He's right on schedule. He's working. He's growing. It's not anything specific about his game that I would love to hear about his route running, his his catching ability, anything that makes a wide receiver. Was there anything you gleaned from from what Kafka said in his transcript? I, I felt like Wink was a little better, but anything you gleaned from that that maybe um, you know caught your attention or something you wanted to discuss? Yeah, Kafka's a little bit terse in terms of how sure. he interviews, which which is fine. You know, I mean, he's like you said, he was going to be a head coach. He did say Daniel Jones is still one of the first ones in the building, despite the fact that he got paid, which is excellent. And also, they talked about the dead snap, Dan. I'm really surprised you didn't bring up the dead snap and just how he said the same thing that everyone has kind of said. It's up to the the center. As long as it's accurate, that's all that really matters. And then he went on to say, like, we had a lefty snapper in Kansas City and it worked. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, for those who are didn't catch on, Nick and I have discussed the dead snap off pot a bunch. We this is peak off season content right here, talking about a dead snap. This is just we know we've gotten to June. You know you've gotten to the the dull days of June when you talk about the dead snap. I will be fine with no matter how he snaps that football. I don't think it's going to matter how JMS snaps it, but it was good to hear Mike Kaff kind of confirm what our thoughts were on that to begin with. Um, yeah, Nick, anything else from these interviews or from the OTAs that we didn't get a chance to touch on? I just wanted to bring up June 6th, if I if I had to label it something, that OTA practice, mm -hmm. it seemed like, according to all the reports, it was the type of practice where the secondary showed up because there were a lot of PBUs. And you had PBUs from Deontay Banks. You had PBU from Javarius Owens, which we brought up. But Cordell Flott, Trey Hawkins, Xavier McKinney, and Amani Oruwarie all had PBUs. And both Lawrence Cager and David Sills' name came up as touchdown recipients in both of those practices. Is there something there? Who knows? But we know that a tight end three spot is going to be available on this roster because there's not really a secured tight end three. You could say Chris Myrick, he's classified as a fullback. I would say he's the tight end three, but if you're going to use him more in a fullback role or Daniel Bellinger, maybe there's going to be opportunity for a fourth tight end fullback to make the squad. Could that be Lawrence Cager who whose skill set is somewhat similar to a Darren Waller, or would you want it to be someone who is more of a blocker? Something that we've already discussed on the podcast, but the fact that he's making plays in, in OTAs is something I at least wanted to note because I think he at least has a shot at this roster. Yeah, definitely something worth noting. And we're going to have to see through training camp. That's when he's really going to have his best opportunity, in my opinion, at least to make it known that he belongs there on this roster moving forward. All right, Nick, anything else on OTAs or is that kind of where we're at? I think that's where we're at, brother. Okay, that sounds good. For those interested in knowing kind of what's ahead, we'll probably, with OTA, well, we're going to have one more mandatory minicamp. We'll talk about that. And there should be actually some much better stuff coming out of that than the OTAs because there's more media access and there's there are more serious practices, to be blunt, about situ about what, what these OTAs are. Um, but we have a lot of interesting things coming up for the offseason. We've, we've done position previews in the past. We'll do some of that. And we have a lot of different things that we're crafting now uh, as we get into the middle of June and maybe early July, starting next week, really, that we're going to be excited to share with you guys. So keep it locked and loaded. If you enjoyed like us ranking the position groups, things of that nature, we're going to do a lot of that type of content, a lot of evergreen type of stuff. We're going to try to build on some interviews, and then we're going to try to do more of the live Q&As and mailbags that we started last month, um, earlier last month, and we, didn't, you know, and we haven't really built on just yet, but 
be on the lookout because more of those are coming as well. So we want to talk to you guys. We want to make this thing more interactive. I think what these two next months are, to me at least, are a good time to kind of talk with the listeners, you guys, and talk with ourselves and just spitball about it because it's not like it's so interesting how the offseason works when you're covering one team. You have the season where you're covering what, what we talk about a lot is 90% of what we saw on the tape. That's just what it is. 95, 10%, 90% tape five percent next week's matchups and that's it then you have the draft where you're covering the players and then you have training camp where you're covering the players again but these two months in between it's a lot of speculation it's a lot of prognostication so we want to kind of make it more creative more interesting and, and mostly more interactive and try to get your guys thoughts on some of these things so be on the lookout for more live q a's like we did on youtube uh, a few weeks ago now and then mailbag situations but other than that have a great rest of your weekend if you're in new jersey like i am try your best to not die no i'm just kidding this is not a life or death situation out here with the smoke but try your best to not inhale too much of that crap um i've already canceled some some weekend plans and unfortunately for me nick one of those was golf which i was ex hoping to play uh once more before i go down i'm gonna visit my friend in florida this week and he's a good golfer nick so i was trying to show out a little bit there though i did have a really really good outing earlier this week on monday that i'm very excited about so uh, this is the most addicting thing ever golf for me nick is I can't remember anything in my life that I've picked up and have been more addicted to from the get go than this thing. And I know some people uh, listening in shout out David Goodman, one of our favorite <laughs> listeners, one of the original okay. listeners of this podcast, David, you're the man. And I know you hate that I'm playing golf now and you've said as much and you think golf is bad. And another friend of mine, shout out Brett Childs who listens to this podcast from time to time. He's also anti-golf. I get it. I understand your reasoning, but I think for golf, what it comes down to for me is this, there's three main factors why I love it so far. And we'll end it here, Nick, but and nobody needs to hear about the golf. Number one is I've already gone and played twice with two friends that I've never talked to anymore. I never see anymore. And I never have any chance to hang out with for four hours. That's already happened to me alone. That's a win. The fact that you can Absolutely. hang out with people and spend time with your friends and family that you don't spend a lot of time with otherwise, or the, whoever they may be, that's a good connection right there with golf. And I feel like a lot, I'm already talking to a few friends about planning stuff for later in the summer that I wouldn't have done things with otherwise if we weren't going to go out there and golf. And then the other thing is just my competitive side, Nick, as you know, like anything you can pick up and, and start to and, and look to improve on fast, like golf, you can't, you not fast, but you can, you can make improvements. Like from where I am when I first picked up a club to now playing seven times, it's night and day. Just that excites me as well, Nick. So sorry, David, I hate to say it, but I'm not quitting golf anytime soon. Um, so you're just gonna have to learn to deal with that. I would say get on the ice, bro. That's the competitive. Oh wow! Sport. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Get on the ice, and there are beginner leagues too. If if you're a like novice ice skater, and and you can get out there and it, be very competitive. It's physical. It's one of my favorite sports to play. I love it. Yeah, hockey is a crazy sport. I'm excited about that as well. Um, I'm excited just about watching hockey at this point. I'm getting more into watching it than I ever have lately. So definitely, definitely on the up and up as well. Maybe I'll pick that up at some point next season as well. But anyway, guys, thanks again for listening in, tuning into Big Blue Banter podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. Next week, some good content coming. And then, few, you know, six weeks, and then we'll get to training camp. So we're all excited for that as well. Have a good weekend.